You're listening to the Pull Us Podcast with Chris Poirier and Hector Mirai, a bi-weekly show about how comics, pop culture, and faith affect culture at large. This is part of the Love Thy Nerd Podcast Network. Greetings, true believers, and welcome to yet another episode of the Pull List Podcast. With me, as almost always, actually, it's it's always been always, the best co-host that any comic book podcast could ask for, the one and only Hector. Excelsior. Excelsior. Believe it or not, we missed dropping an episode a week ago, and uh, <laughs> oops, um, I was traveling and basically had no internet. Um, lesson learned. But we're back and we're ready to make Ralph it up to you with – he totally broke it. I still haven't Ralph seen that internet. movie. Is it? Is it really um, good? It's it's uh, Inside Out with Wreck-It Ralph in the sense that it's a fun experience, but it's way over kids' heads. And the entire story is about – like in a nutshell, your insecurities will kill any relationship you have. And it's a film about boundaries uh, – codependency and toxic relationships and like wow. i felt i felt attacked when i left the theater but wow. anyway but yeah ralph no broke the internet yeah. <laughs> so. uh wreck it ralph broke the internet uh hector says see that but um may- maybe bring a tissue box and be sure to uh you know wow um so check I'm yourself def- check yourself check before yourself. you go but that's Good. why we didn't have the podcast last week because Ralph broke the internet and Chris couldn't get on it. Yeah, Ralph Ralph totally broke the internet and might have broken Hector, but we'll come back to that. Um, but this is episode five. <laughs> so welcome back to the Pull List podcast. We've been out for a while, but you know what? We're also not alone here doing this podcast journey with Love Thy Nerd, but we're actually part of the Love Thy Nerd podcasting network, along with two other amazing shows, Humans of Gaming, where Chris and Drew talk game development and host tons of really really cool people for interviews and the free play podcast where you basically get your geek on, on just about anything and everything. Bubba, Matt and Kate take you on a wonderful journey of just all things gaming and geeky in general week to week. And it's a fun little ride. So we're super happy to be here with the other shows of love thy nerd and be able to bring to you the glorious world of comics, at least when Ralph doesn't break the internet. But you can find all of us and all those great things at lovethynerd.com and just about anywhere that podcasts can be procured. So, as usual, we want to jump into, well, what have we been reading? So, Hector, what have you been reading? What have you been watching other than Wreck-It Ralph breaking the internet, which is now the theme for the rest of this episode? You're welcome. It is. It is. Which, by the way, I feel like this is important. It is Stan Lee's first post-death cameo. So, oh, I did see that. Um, was it good? It, was it awesome? It was barely there, and it, I'm not. I'm not hurt by it. It was. Uh, Ray and Finn are checking out Iron Man, and Stan, and Stanley walks by. So, I mean, it's it's literally it wasn't even a big thing, but it was enough that made me punch my ten year old in the arm because um, I got excited, but I didn't want to yell. Um, so, yeah. So, but. And obviously that had probably that had probably been done and planned long before what long. happened. So it just ended up being that thing that just kind of pulled us back and made us remember. So here is your trivia for the next time you're in a nerd competition. Stanley's last living cameo was in Venom, and his first post death cameo was in Ralph Breaks the Internet. And moving on. <laughs> Comic <laughs> books are all about those first appearances and last appearances. That's, that's what it. That's, that's just it. what it's about. All right, so what have I been reading? Here's what I've been reading. Um, 
still been reading Red Hood. Um, I am I got nothing uh, for Batwoman and Jason together. It's just I I think that this is where this is heading right now. But man, um, <laughs> it's I'm, I'm a big Jason fan. Um, but I'm not mad at this. It's just not proving to be fantastic. Um, let's see. What else have I been reading? Uh, Marvel Knights has been dope. A lot of stuff uh, has come out in the last couple of weeks. And seeing oh as we're gosh. working off three weeks, I was sitting there going, what did I forget? Yeah, that's I'm, I'm actually browsing through all the, my comics and saying this. Um, Marvel Knights has been really fun. It still feels a lot like House of M. Um, so there's that. Uh, Heroes in Crisis. Um, we've hit issue three, and I still feel like nothing's happened. Right. Um, like nothing has happened. And I'm okay with Tom King's writing. I'm okay with the situation. I'm okay with the story. But I feel like by issue three, uh, we should already be on a heavy plot line. Because is this seven issues? Is this 12 issues? What is this? Oh, I totally forgot. It's not 12. So it's seven or eight from what I recall. So yeah. we're we're almost to the halfway point. Now, I, I've seen Tom do this in other arcs of things. And... I think he kind of like in Mr. Miracle, which was 12. Um, I feel like there are breadcrumbs right in front of us and there's going to be a gotcha in the next two issues. Um, Cause I was just kind of watching this. I read the l- number three and came to the same conclusion. I was like, you just gave me a lot of detail, but I don't think it told me anything. But then I kind of started flipping back through it and I'm like, no, there's something here. He usually doesn't do this. Yeah. I'm not sure what it is yet, other than the pieces again of um Harley and Booster that we're kind of starting to understand what yeah. may or may not have happened in the order that they may or may not have happened in. Well, well so here's the thing, like Harley saw Booster do it, Booster saw Harley do it. Um Right. Exactly. So- I definitely think there's something more to it. And I'm still kind of leaning towards my original thought. Like the only thing outside of Jason Todd that really is impact or of Roy Harper, that's really impacting this is that I really feel like this could be all in their heads (laughs) that they're just dealing with this. But like the fact that there hasn't been more stuff that what issue two, they dropped that Lois got a package with a like Roy's identity stuff. Like, right. Where, why has come on? You can't, skip a whole issue and not really deal with that. Um, but whatever. Um, they Daredevil? also, they, I'm sorry. I no, just, no, good, good. I, I have to, because I, this was my high point too, of, um, the fact that they all can choose to conceal their identity with the masks and the robes. So in theory that other people that are there at the same time, don't necessarily know who is and who isn't. And then mm-hmm. also that little danger room, like aspect of that, their therapy is they can literally choose to either face their that moment again, or there's different ways to deal with that also kind of leads me to that. Is it happening? Is it not happening that they've again, he's, he's knitting together these little threads that I'm like, this is important, but I don't know why yet. Yeah, uh, I agree. Um, Daredevil. um, That arc was good. Uh, the finishing of that story and just to leave and I, I'm trying to not be the spoiler guy again. Um, yeah, but I felt it was a really good run. I wasn't wounded. I did feel a bit Rickrolled. Um, <laughs> um, that's fair. End. Um, because for those of you that listened to our earlier, when we were talking about this, um, uh, 
our our hope that it wouldn't end a particular way. Well, it didn't end that way, and that's all we're going to give you. <laughs> yeah, it didn't end the way I guessed, but although it looked for a second like it could at the end yep. of one of those issues. Um, but I wasn't displeased. Um, I just have to say that ending coming now in light of Daredevil being canceled on Netflix, I just feel very violated across the board. Ooh, uh, that's a good point. Because, like, literally, what are you guys doing? Um, (laughs) (laughs) What happened? um, Because I'm just getting into Daredevil, and I know that there's another arc and another creator coming and all these things in the comic, based at least on the last page, but... um, Yep, no, absolutely. Um, I forget the exact date, but it is reslated. Um, I I can say I'm not as excited based on the current creative team, but I'm going to give it a shot. Everybody gets a couple... To convince me to stay or go. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, I, this is the same creative team that did that thing with the Supreme Court, right? Yep. Yeah. No, like, this was the end of Sewell's entire run, which for Marvel, other than a few other folks in major titles, is a pretty long run with the same writer, at least. How many was that? It's at least 30 or more, from what I recall. Because yeah, they did really the whole legacy run. numbering in the middle, it really kind of messed me up. <laughs> um, to the internet, continue. Yeah, to the internet. Uh, so there was that. But Daredevil, I was pleased to say, I'm not happy about the amount of Marvel I'm reading. Um, just in the sense, I don't budget for that. And it's just been picking up. Um, Immortal Hulk has been steadily just getting good. Like... Um, it's getting better. It's getting gross and grotesque. Um, it's getting demonic in a sense. Uh, not like, you know, burn it like a Harry Potter book in 1999 demonic, but <laughs> like <laughs> all us church kids, uh, <laughs> um, Harry Potter's the devil. Um, but no, but, but, it's, but he's really, he's really not kids. Don't, don't, don't mishear us. No, 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 he's not. That's, that's, that was church mom culture in 1999. Um, just cause Pokemon was the devil and then Harry Potter became the new devil. And, um, I don't know what's been the devil since then. I've tried to avoid it. Um, but I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore. Um, but with that Hulk, like, uh, literally the next few runs of Hulk are like Hulk in hell. Um, Oh, interesting. Like, legit. Um, so that's fun. Um, like, the next arcs are Hulk and Hill. So I'm interested to see it. Um, and let's see, a couple other things. Unnatural came back from its big hiatus. Um, yep. Uh, still interesting. Uh, it keeps not, it keeps turning. I'm, I'm, it, it, I've, I had this chat with someone else recently that I didn't know what to expect when I started this book. Three episodes, three episodes, three issues in. I really didn't know what to expect, and now I'm just like, okay, I'm I'm here for the ride. But good on you for keeping me on my toes. Well, and that's the thing. Like, uh, they shot themselves in the foot, in my opinion, with the overly sexy covers for some of them. Um, yep. Because uh, as I was talking to a cosplayer that. Uh, does weekly reviews of comics and he said he would never pick it up because it looks like furry porn. Um, yep. And he said he couldn't get past that. And here's the deal. I also am not super keen about the covers being in my kid's library, like on our Kindle library. So oh, that's a good point. 
Like, so my kid, I had to give both of my kids a warning. Like, um, don't, (laughs) (laughs) I get it. She might look cute. Don't. Um, but it has continued to be interesting. Um, Marvel Knights does still feel like house of M, but I'm not complaining. Um, Doomsday Clock was dope. Um, right? Doomsday Clock felt like a classic DC story that I'm just picking up now that came out 20 years ago. Um, I, and it gave me the feels for the original story arc. And we're at issue eight. There's more issues that Doomsday Clock, they were working towards the boom, for the lack of a better term. Yeah, I feel like we got the boom this time, which means I actually get we actually get four more issues to find out what the point really is. And oh, yeah, no, I got chills when I hit that last panel because I was like, oh, oh, yes. Yeah, so they're they're doing good things with Doomsday Clock. Um, I also feel like, though, when a story drags on this long with this few issues, do people stop caring? It's possible because honestly, all of the marketing for Doomsday Clock started with, you know, the clock in the Superman symbol. Yeah. Slight spoiler, issue eight is where we first see Superman. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's it's a bit it's a bit hard, but like I I was looking through books this week of what I was gonna pick up. I'm like, oh yeah, Doomsday Clock still exists. <laughs> like I wasn't like oh no i still have to read this because let's be super honest like the mime and uh marionette Marionette, right those have been dope i like i enjoy those characters um but this story i really wish that they would have had it a little more together and easily more packaged coming out on a regular basis Um, yeah because literally we've gone through holidays and hurricanes and floods and funerals and weddings and all these other things since then. And this is not on the forefront of people's mind. I really don't believe that. Um, so I think that's the only thing that's going to hurt its success is the fact it took too long. Um, and Shazam. Good job, guys. <laughs> yeah, I was about to make that transition because I was like, well, Jeff is Jeff Johns is writing a lot right now. Um, between- he is. Between show running, um, but then also Doomsday Clock being like his love letter. It's like, well, we got to get Shazam to market as well. So it's like, oh, dang. But yeah, but, no, tell me tell me what you thought about Shazam. I'm curious because I, I enjoyed it too. I thought it was fun. Well, I'm, I'm going to be super honest. I'm only in this for Zachary Levi um, because I, I, want, I want my kids to have something to read. And so that they're not totally blindsided when we get to see Zachary Levi you know, suit up in April because I'm a Chuck, <laughs> right? I'm a, I'm a Chuck fan and uh, I've met Zach and I've given Zach a faith and fandom book and we've talked and I'm, I'm a big fan of his and his journey. And uh, he's just a generally good dude. But yeah, I started seeing Shazam as Zachary Levi now when I'm reading or hearing his voice and uh, hearing Zachary Levi as Shazam just makes it more fun to read. But I really thought it was a good book because it honestly took a lot of times Shazam is bogged down way too much in its own mythos. And Mm -hmm. the fact that they took the entire backstory, threw it on one page and said, pick it up. We're going move on. Um, Right. I was pretty impressed by that too. I was like, Oh, Oh, we're, we're going to remind everyone how this happened, but we're, we're already done. Well done. 
Well, it's like with the Andrew Garfield Spider-Mans. They should have had a intro montage of his origin and picked up from there and like full-blown Spider-Man. I really feel that's kind of where they messed up that series. Um, Look, just just leave Uncle Ben alone. He's been through enough. Yeah, he's been through enough. <laughs> um, but, you know, the the big the big twist in this Shazam, I don't consider this a spoiler, it's just the outline of the plot. The big, the big twist in this is that not only does Billy get the powers of the Rock of Eternity, he passes them on to all of the kids in his foster home. Yeah, the Shazam family. I am digging the, the, it. The Lightning League, the the right. they were, Squad. They go through a wonderful montage of naming um, things, and it is everything that one could hope for. And then Billy asks to, that he his name be Captain Marvel, but his mom interrupts him to ask if he wants lasagna. And so, like, they make that cute <laughs> little joke. Um, yep. Okay. Last thing, just to say, I will. This is a big week month for me because this is where I decided I'm done with The Walking Dead. Um, like I read the first 130 or first 120 issues straight. Um, pick, I dropped it for a year or two, picked it back up in graphic novel form. And I've been reading it ever since, but it, I just came to it this issue to realize I'm just, I just don't care anymore. Um, I'm also like, I haven't seen past the second episode of this season and I'm like, mm, I'm not, I'm not going to schedule my life around this. So I'm letting The Walking Dead go. Yeah, I'll probably pick it up years down the road. But that, yeah. yeah okay. I'd say if Robert Kirkman ever gets to the point that he finally ends this story, um, folks will wander back to it. There's, there's, I definitely have a ton of folks that still are sub to it and pick it up every week. But I, I do feel like the conversation is waning, that we're 170, 180-something issues in now. So talking about... <laughs> longevity and storytelling that people kind of like what they're seeing in the show I'm hearing from fans is yeah yeah we get it they're they're gonna meet a new person that's really evil there's some zombies and someone's gonna get eaten or someone's gonna get their head bashed in that's and they're gonna move to, they're gonna find a civilization integrate themselves in it ruin it repeat <laughs> um, um people are bad kids that that's <laughs> that's the message I just saved you a ton of time if you've not I actually read the walking people dead but bad. to be fair really bad okay um okay. Uh, great that <laughs> just cost if, us if they don't if they don't <laughs> we just got kicked out of the christian bookstores um yeah. whoops if they don't end, if they don't end walking dead on issue 200 they lose just saying Ooh, that would be a really good from a comic book perspective from a comic book perspective if they don't those end big round issue, numbers because that's one of that'll be one of the only books to hit 200 um, like that out of an independent thing and with one consistent story and almost the same artist through the whole arc. That's a big deal. Spawn um, and Savage Dragon have something to say to you about that. But I said, interestingly I one enough, of, one of image books. <laughs> yeah, image books. All right. So what do you got? What 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 are you reading that I'm not? All right. So we covered all the big ones, but I did have a couple things on my list. Uh, I did pick up the new uh, book. I do believe it's an image book. So there you go. Uh, called Die. Um, mm, I saw that week. circling the internet. Yeah. Go ahead. So it has it has that D&D feel because, you know, D&D is, you know, what the kids are into today. And you can also. Oh, is it die like a dice? It, it's actually. <laughs> no. It Well, yes and no. It's actually a lot more complicated than that. And 
how they set up the story, I don't want to give away. So I'm going to try to talk around it because I think people will enjoy what they've done is, you know, Stranger Things and other things. It's a little overt. This one is super overt in what's going on. These kids get together to play a role playing game, but they lay out the rules and I'll give you the basics, which is every person in your party chooses their character and uh, race and all that good stuff. And they get one die out of a polyhedral set. You don't get the full set. You're only given one. We don't know why that is important, but that one of them who is the dungeon master, or game master is actually a player. And he's the only one with a D 20. And then all these kids disappear. Their parents are like, oh, they were in the basement doing the evil thing of the D and the D and the dice, and they're gone. And they disappear for a couple years, and then they all show back up except one of them. And all you get at the end of it is you don't really know where they went, but that stuff got real, and somebody didn't come home, and that's the lead up to the story. Okay. I thought it was pretty neat. All you know is that whatever happens in where they disappeared to um, is permanent. (laughs) And it has a lot to do with whatever they were doing as part of the game. So it's Lord Um, of the Flies with D&D. Yeah, possibly. Um, But the art is freaking great. Um, It it is a mature book. um, So not, not for the kiddos, but I... I'm hooked. I want to see how this plays out because it either sounds like a great idea or I'm going to be knee deep in cliche real quick. Um, So you can check that out. Um, I still love the flash. Um, Joshua Williamson still writing great flash stuff. It's getting a little weird because we were talking about before that uh, we now know there are other forces other than speed and he's still kind of playing that out. And I, don't know how I feel about that quite yet. So they trying to one, do the lantern spectrum with the speed spectrum. And what's well, it's not just speed. Cause like one of them's like calm, like, and then we saw the strength force in an earlier arc um, where they gave a uh, trickster. Um, like he became the Hulk basically. And it's like, Oh, come on. No, don't, don't do this. <laughs> um, so, but yes, cause they're all different colors and different emblems. So yeah, we definitely got, the lantern core feel going on to the story. But one thing I do love about Joshua Williamson and his writing um, in the flashes, he loves gorilla Grodd. So he's spending a lot of time in gorilla city and unpacking <laughs> a lot of Grodd's history and the gorillas, which Grodd. you don't get a lot of. So yeah, I don't love Grodd. <laughs> well, that's, what's kind of funny is like right now we're talking about how Grodd basically tried to destroy his, his dream and the gorilla city folks are like, yeah, we don't really love that dude either. So there's some interesting dynamics. Um, I'm entertained. Why are you not entertained? I don't know. Um, I did keep picking up Batman beyond. Cause I mentioned last time about um, the original Joker being present in the beyond universe. And yeah. so two, uh, two, two issues in I'm, I'm actually still okay. Um, it's he's almost running like a I didn't get to finish you off the first time Barbara type thing, which is real dark. <laughs> okay. um, 
and they just pulled forward a an original Jason Todd reference with Joker, and it sounds like he's he's potentially about to attempt to repeat himself and add another trophy to his Robin wall. Who is Robin and, in um, Batman Beyond? So that's what's complicated, and because I'm really terrible at this because I haven't been paying attention, is apparently there hasn't really been one, and I think I glossed over the important part of this issue, which is, yeah, who he is. <laughs> okay. Um, so, Because um, I, I, has there ever been a Robin in Batman Beyond? I don't recall, but I believe the point to this is that it's not something that's been normal. Um, those of you that are Batman Beyond fans, feel free to slap us silly in, in the community because... Uh, I, I think a good, a really good story is starting to be laid out here, and I just don't know enough about the Batman Beyond universe to speak intelligently to it. But if you're into original Joker, the future of Gotham and and Barbara and everybody, it it's pretty fun. Um, that I know this is a book people are having difficulty with. Um, I don't sell a lot of it, but there is a very dedicated fan base. I think this is a great place for folks to jump back in because it it kind of intertwines stuff with what common DC fans and Batman fans are going to know and what has been provided in the future kind of different world telling of Batman Beyond. Okay. And then I think finally for me, um, I, I did read Batman 60, so we're still unpacking that whole um, what is Bane actually up to what is Cobblepot and the Penguin actually providing us in addition now? So it's it's interesting. Um, Batman but... <laughs> Batman's super angry now. He is punching his way through his problems. Um, Batman 60 was Batman punches a lot of problems in the face repeatedly. Um, and he finally pushes Commissioner Gordon to the point of, no, nah, I think we're done here. So... Bane is still kind of successfully manipulating Batman into crushing his own world around him, but we still don't know the end game. But we will I, I say think this, that is the end game. This is hush no, on I steroids. Think, <laughs> right. And the last panel, the last page of this book kind of brings back a rebirth thing. I am not spoiling this because it's really good that I, I think we're finally starting to see the bits and pieces of the payoff of the, disaster that was batman 50 where we got a glimpse of this that very yeah. clearly in 61 we're now going to start seeing what this actually means but the, the what's totality the next run of, called nightmares i'm not oh yeah sounds right the the so, next run arc the arc is called nightmares uh tom king tweeted out the layout of the rest of the story like um oh nice of what each each issue to issue was going to be and yeah, there's just so much cool going on. And I, I'm i now excited again because I think he's going to get to the payoff. Um, so it's interesting. We'll see how it plays out. And then other than that, I, 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 have, I hate to admit it, but I'm way behind on lots of things. But I actually also just started and completely finished watching Castlevania on Netflix. I started it and then plowed through it finish? because, wow, um, Castlevania. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, it is easy. Yeah. To yeah. And I heard a lot of people say, no, it's really good. You should check it out. And I'm like, okay, I didn't, I, I wasn't that dude that played those games. So fine. Oh, but yeah, I, I heard it was really games. good. So I turned that bad boy on and they're like, oh, it's written by Warren Ellis. And I'm like, oh, well I'm in. <laughs> right. I'm, I mean, I'm that sorry. makes a big difference. I, 
Which, right, if you're I not familiar, complete- Warren Ellis is a phenomenal groundbreaking comic book writer. So the fact he wrote Castlevania is a big win for Castlevania and the nerd community. Right. And it was really good. And it was like, oh yeah, Warren, the dialogue is Warren Ellis top to bottom. So if you're used to reading his stuff, um, his dry wit is super razor sharp and it, I, I was pretty happy, but again, not, not for the kiddos. Uh, Warren has an expanded vocabulary and I, I did kind of look at my wife when I was like, oh, Warren Ellis wrote this. And she's like, oh, this should be really good. And it also means that he's going to say the F word a lot. And well, yeah, yeah and he did. The, <laughs> I think my favorite interaction was the demon and the priest in the church. Um, yeah. Like, uh, that was that was dope. But also the last, I want to say it's the two episodes from the end of season three or two or whatever we're on. Um was like straight Dragon Ball Z and I freaking loved it. Um yeah. No, it I I got lost for a minute and then I was like, "Nope, I'm good. I'm I'm just riding this out." And it was super fun and it's super violent and and super wordy, so it, you know, be aware of those things, but it it's a fun watch. It is very well drawn. It is very well voice acted. I I'm kind of disappointed it took me this long to get to it. So if most of you are saying, well, yeah, we already watched it because it's really good. Well, I finally caught up. And thank you all for trying to convince me to actually watch it. I did. um, I watched all of Daredevil season three and get shorty since the last time we talked. Um, uh, (laughs) um, Daredevil season three was go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say uh, you you deserve a sticker or a gold star or something. And I started looking for some and I don't have any. So, oh, oh just, sorry. Just, yep. Here, here you go. Uh, it's an honorary gold star. I Daredevil <laughs> season three was hands down the best Daredevil season. But also, I'd probably say it's the best Netflix Marvel thing um, together, maybe. Um, but it was it was great. But I'm, I'm a big uh I don't even know his name because I'm terrible, but the dude from the it crowd is the main character in get shorty along with Ray. Oh, Romano, nice. Um, where he plays a gangster trying to produce a film and it was great. Um, <laughs> I, I, I thoroughly giggled and enjoyed myself, but that story was originally written by the same guy who wrote justified. Um, and I enjoy his Ooh. writing a lot. So, yeah. Okay. But I was going to ask you about that. That's going on my watch list. Well done. Uh, all right, so yeah, so moving right along with the podcast, we have a few things we'd like to talk about, and depending on time, uh, we'll see what we get to. But I know that Hector and I were talking, and we just wanted to revisit uh, Titans from DC Universe again because it's it. We said up front, "Hey, th- this was better than we thought it was going to be." It's not just better; it it's pretty darn good. So I've, I've, I've seen a lot of people in the nerd world that are pseudo professional nerds, like artist alley and comic-con people. So yep. this is the best superhero show they've ever seen. Um, now what says I'm, Hector? Um, uh-huh, I'm not going to say it's the best, but I'm not, I'm also going to say not say I'm disappointed. Um, Here's what I can put out to you. The most recent episode, the episode that came out the morning that we're recording this, was a Hawk and Dove episode that featured no other Titans. Um, Oh, interesting. Like, it is just a Hawk and Dove backstory. And I was not at any point 
bored or really wish there was something else happening. Like I was flipping enthralled. And if you tell me that you're going to make me watch a hour of Hawk and Dove and I'm going to be totally cool with it. I, you've done some good work. Yeah. Um, there's, there's not a lot of people just you, because how many listeners you can raise your hands and we'll count them later and we'll tell everybody, um, know who Hawk and Dove is at all. Um, yeah, they're, real they're right. And, the, and we're not last... even talking. We're not even talking original Hawk and Dove because technically the iteration because Hawk and Dove originally was two dudes. Uh, um, you get that in this. Oh, even better. Um, so, so cool. So DC is going to give you the deep cut and the Rob Liefeld update of Hawk and Dove, yeah. which have been I think the last time cool Hawk character. and Dove was popular in comics was when uh, they were associated with Birds of Prey um, with Gail Simone. Um, That's probably a good point. Um, good run and good use of the characters. Yeah. Um, and since then I haven't, they haven't really been on anybody's radar, but, um, it's been really consistent, you know, outside of a uh, Starfire's fashion choices. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, she's stuck in the seventies if you're curious, uh, but, I'm uh, not sure why <laughs> she did but change the purple outfit, but it's a different purple outfit now. Um, yes. Uh, you get you get a lot, and honestly, outside of the violence and the stuff, but dealing with issues and everything, um, you know, they brought one of the reasons I got so pumped was when I heard that Jason Todd was going to be in it. And if you know me, I'm a big Red Hood fan, and um, I was excited to see a. If, hold on, let me fact check myself. Is this the first live action iteration of Jason Todd? I believe it is. Um, that sounds fair. I'm trying to think in some of the early movies, but no, I'm pretty sure it was always Dick Grayson. Typically, even in the earlier movies, I mean, obviously DC did a ton in their animated universe, but I not even a ton, dude. Hurt. He's on like he's only in Red Hood and the Outlaws, or in a uh, Batman Under the Red Hood. Oof, and um, maybe some of the recent stuff like Bad Blood and stuff, but like. He hasn't had a lot of representation. So when you when I see that the first on-screen representation of Jason Todd is coming, I'm pumped. But guess what? By the end of the episode, I remember why we voted to kill him. Um, <laughs> right? Um, I just finished that episode. So Hector's about two episodes ahead of me. But yeah. I just finished the full Jason Todd because they give you a teaser and then you get a full one, which you get more of his backstory. Um, and yeah, at the end of that episode... He beats the living crap out of a bunch of cops that, you know, something had just We're, occurred. They rescued they rescued somebody. And yeah. Dick's like, oh, the cops are here. And Jason's like, I got this. And he's like, cool. And Dick's like, cool. He's going to distract him or whatever. And he beats the living crap out of like, you know what the cops. fight reminded me of? The hit girl hallway scene. Ooh. Like uh, where Hit Girl comes out of the elevator, um, that's what Jason's cop fight looked like, and I'm just like, I'm just like in utter shock. Like, why are you hitting cops? Um, but you know, and it was he, just, and yeah. he sets that part up of his character that Dick's like, wait, what? what Batman can't be cool with you doing that, and Jason's just like, he, he's not, and it's like, oh dang. We got different Robins, so it's awesome that they're setting up very obviously that well, Dick isn't happy with Bruce, but it's interesting because 
you still find out that they're on different levels for different reasons. Yeah, and one of the things that you see throughout the storyline pretty heavily through the whole thing is that early on, Dick is blaming Batman for his lack of control. And then right. he then he goes to move to the ma- blaming the mask for his lack of control. Um, and then you see by the end of some of the more recent episodes that there's no one else to blame, that it's just the fact that Dick is dark in his heart and he can't blame anyone else. And honestly, like I'm doing a faith and fandom chapter on that concept um, nice. that you can't blame the mask. But like I've, if, okay, I think what this DC universe is 70 bucks, like for the year total, something like that. Um, right. Watch watching this entire run of Titans. And having comic books to at my access has been worth it. Um, I am disappointed in the lack of new comics or the lack of comics changing out more frequently. Um, if, if I'm going to say that my money is well spent, then I would have needed them to step their comic book game up more frequently. And they even had a, like a disclaimer on the app that said comic books will be able to purchase in full library form on, in October and October's gone and we got nothing. So what up? Well, um, I'd be curious um, because I, I can put my retailer hat on for a millisecond and kind of talking about the DC universe concept. Um, retailers did not take the news of DC universe coming. Well, we're like, cool TV shows. We're like, but, but, but wait, you're going to give them the, the comics. What? how I money make. Um, and a lot of retailers really kind of lost their mind. Um, and to be honest for, to a certain extent, probably for a good reason. Um, so I think some of that is DC trying to find out where the balance is to maintain the direct market for new comics in some way, shape or form while also being able to deliver good digital content that makes it worth the cost of admission. And, it's an interesting balance because consumers, consumers don't care. They want the content however they can get it and preferably in a way that is most affordable. But I think what you're seeing is the play playing out of what retailers actually have voice in the publishers that are providing content to the direct market just as much. To say the very least, it's complicated. And a lot of us are kind of torn because technology is doing cool stuff for us in the industry. But we also don't want to support our way out of non-existence. Yeah. Truth bomb. I'm sorry. Truth bomb. No, you're good. But Titans is worth it. Um, It's definitely worth watching. And uh, if you happen to be a listener in another country, it's hitting Netflix for you on January 11th. Um, Yeah, no, if if you are in the Canada or... Overseas, yep, um, because of the way the contracts fell, um, they can't provide DC Universe, I guess, in certain international markets, so they sold the content to Netflix. So you win. Yeah, and America, you have to pay for it. Aw. 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 The rest but, of the world gets yeah, our so, leftovers. Yeah. Um, I'll say <laughs> this like, too, dude, though, dude. Um, um, the girl, the lady, the woman the female that is playing, I'm sorry for if I use the wrong term, um, that is playing dove is a gangster. Mm. Nice. She's a gangster. Um, but yeah, but Titans has been worth it. Um, if you, 
I feel like it's it's violent and it's edgy, but without doing it for the sake of violence and edginess. Um, yeah, there was a moment watching some episodes I wondered, especially early on, but then I'm like, oh, this isn't, you, you made a point, so I'm in. And because some shows, it's definitely about the splatter for the sake of the splatter. And it, I mean, if they wanted to go all in, the the full Jason Todd episode was probably the one they could have. <laughs> um, let's just say lots of acids involved. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, <laughs> we'll be we'll be OK. So um, it's still not for the kiddos, but it's a great watch. And we just wanted to come back and visit that again because it was really kind of neat. Um, and it continues to impress. So Jeff Johns, again, we've said before, when he's involved in projects, things typically tend to go pretty well. And I think they're on a good path. I think so too. I really think that they're doing something solid. Yeah. Um, so we just wanted to bring that back to you guys because it, it's, it's worth the price of admission to check it out. And DC Universe in general also has a couple other shows. They have like a daily hit piece on just comics and DC comics in general. So you can learn a lot, know what's going on in the DC uh, world of things in general and watch shows. And even better, we know more shows like this are coming. So like the Harley Quinn show looks fun. I'm excited about a oh yeah scary Swamp Thing show. Like, you know, I'm excited for this stuff. It'd just be nice if we picked up the pace a little. Um because, you know, realistically, uh, what DC put out for the advertisement and what we've received has been a little bit of false advertising. Yeah, there's um, been there's been some debate about that. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, false advertising in the world of the comic book industry is not a new concept. No. Um, because, I, uh, <laughs> like, transitioning to what we... Another thing we want to talk about is the simple fact yep. that uh, covers and comic book covers and stuff can be crazy misleading um, and a bit discouraging with that. Um, yeah. Some of it, yeah. You sell some comic of it, books for a living. I do. And the most fascinating thing is I, I think I know which one you're probably going to pull for recently, but maybe not. There's, there's a ton of Go examples. Ahead. I'm interested. <laughs> um, but the one that like stood out to me the most is the, the Batman arc with penguin has been, in their advertising, their solicits and some of the things on the, it's like Batman and Penguin gang up and join alliances or whatever. And it's like, wait, that, that still isn't really happening. None of that's happened at all. Right. And, (laughs) and, and I read it going, no, what, why would you do this? Tom King? Why? Well, Tom didn't clearly editorial, um, et cetera. We, we got to remember comic book writers are part of a team. There are artists, there are letters, there are editors, and sometimes even entirely separate cover artists, which means sometimes things get lost in translation or something's going to be done for a marketing purpose. And well, yeah, I was like, well, why? Like in the, in why? the most recent issue of Batman, Batman 60, Penguin and Batman are fighting shoulder to shoulder on the cover, um, right. which actually did happen in the detective arc with, two-face um but not in this and in total honesty penguin spends the entire issue in a cage with batman not even around yeah he's he's in a cage um sharing poetry with alfred i'm sorry spoiler alert but now you know yeah and so what the world 
Um, I was like, that is a straight up lie. One that made me a bit salty recently was the DC nuclear winter Christmas special. Um, Go on. Tell me, tell me, tell me how the bad comic hurt you. (laughs) Um, First of all, interesting concept to do a nuclear winter special. I wasn't, I didn't hate it. It was a good issue. Um, I enjoyed it. Um, It was the first firestorm story I actually enjoyed in a minute. Um, But front and center on the cover of this issue, like the main focal point on the issue cover is Harley Quinn. Yep. Harley Quinn is not in the book. Oh, no. Yeah. Harley is not in the book at all. How are you going to front and center blow up and put a character on the cover who's not in the flipping book? Unfortunately, that comes back to what I said kind of in passing um, is marketing because... I can sell a book with Harley Quinn on the cover without even mentioning it that Harley Quinn fans are going to go, Oh, Harley. And they're going to pick it up on the cover alone. Um, some of those fans are buying it for the cover and that's fine, but uh, I'm surprised actually for now. covers. That's fine. Yeah. Right. But, but oof, um, that's a pretty good example right there, but that's um, a, a $9 oh. comic book. Yes. No, it was, it's a, it's a giant size. It's got 10 stories in it. Um, it's not cheap. Um, oh, that's a bummer. I haven't had a chance to read all of, uh, of that holiday special yet, but those are the types of things that, you know, you know, what really grinds my gears, um, that kind of thing, um, is absolutely true. Now, sometimes to be fair, we can talk about the balance of, Sometimes covers are special variants that we're bringing in a special artist to do a cool cover. And sometimes they're just really cool. And that's part of the retail game is how can I get people to buy multiple copies of the same book just for literally the cover? And variants have been a complicated existence in the comic book industry for a long time. Um, But as of late, it's even worse because... I'm trying to think. I'll give a couple examples. Star Wars number one, when it was brought back to Marvel. The number of covers for that book was something like 50 to 75 variants, because including store exclusives, including just people. Yeah, if you go and find um, stores that catalog all of them, like normally they're they're listed by alphabet numbers for cover numbers so cover a is usually the main cover cover b is a secondary or the only variant um i think on some sites i saw things like you know if you scroll on excel way too far and you start seeing double letters yeah (laughs) that's not good that's when you know there's a lot of covers um and it's tricky because some people are like i really want that one really cool artist well if you don't know, um, comics sometimes will also put ratios on books and variants like that, which means a retailer has to buy X number of comics to get one of that particular variant. So one in 10 and one in 25 is your most common ratio variant. But now we're into a world where one in 50s, one in 100, one in 200, one in 250, one in 300, one in 400, one in 500, one in 1,000 is a common thing. Um, And that's just insane. So 
yeah, sometimes covers can be misleading, but sometimes they can also be these really strange money hits for really cool art. And that's the thing that disappoints me more as a comic book lover is sometimes there's some really cool art that hits a variant page that you, you might have to pay $500 for a thing just to get the cover that you're looking for. So yeah, yeah that's, co- that's, there's covers can that. be that's not... super misleading or super expensive. <laughs> Yuck. Is, were there any others that like stood out recently? I'm trying to think. Um, it's been I know the Batman the- one was like a big deal to me because it's like, yeah, that that literally is not what's happening. <laughs> That's not what's happening. The Harley Quinn one was a big one. Um, Marvel honestly hasn't been that bad for it from the stuff that I've seen. Um, like- yeah, historically, like Stan Lee days, um, what you would see on Marvel books in comparison to DC is the catch the new spectacular issue of Spider-Man where he goes to the movies. You'd see like those taglines on a thing, or this is the first exciting issue of fantastic four. Um, all that kind of stuff that, but it wasn't, um, it's derivative, but it's not deceptive, right? It's not Galactus and Mr. Fantastic team up to take on Thanos. Wait, what? Actually, Marvel, I might read that book. So um, credit is to, do. <laughs> to Chris Poirier, P-O-I-R-I-E-R. Um, sorry, what? Um. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's just, it, it puts a sour taste in my mouth um, to pick something up and it have nothing to do with uh, what you're paying for. Um, exactly. Like, and, and that's the thing, if it's a variant cover, fine. I'll deal with that, but it should not be the main cover. If it's a total non-consecutive, non-sequential, non-essential part of the story, please stop trying to milk us dry for books that you don't think are good enough, so you have to false advertise. Ooh, um, this has been <laughs> this has been Hector and Chris on Real Talk Comics, and. We won't be back next week because we'll probably be hearing from DC Comics. And if uh, DC Comics was going to come after me, they would have been done it. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, it's good that you haven't received any cease and desist letters. Um, Hopefully, we we will continue to not do so. Um, But no, the truth is, right, that we just, we really love comics and the comic book community and comic book nerds, geeks, et cetera we're highly opinionated if you haven't figured that out in five episodes. Um, But I think it's part of the fun of this particular hobby for us. And for a lot of folks is it's not just, I'm I'm sorry. There are actually examples where it's just one writer and one artist, um, which is really cool. But most comics are a small team, a small army of people that put together the entire stories and concepts. So like if a Sean Murphy book is misleading, that's on Sean Murphy. Yeah, that's entirely on Sean. Um, so, Sean, great work so far. Don't mess it up. Yeah, no pressure. You You've been warned. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, so, yeah. Sometimes we got to take a step back and remember that these are people. Um, they've put their heart and soul into these these things. But, but yeah, at least choose. Talk well, to your editors. Well, <laughs> we know and, editorial you know, I don't probably think had something ever... to do with that. I don't think I ever realized how much heart and soul went into a cover 
of an issue until we uh, had dinner with a FUA at um right mm-hmm. NC Comic Con Bull City. Yeah, right, Bull City. Yep, right, that's the right one. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. we uh, Chris and I had the privilege of sitting down to dinner with Afua Richardson, who is like one of the dopest artists out there. And um, she was talking about how she worked in um, African dialect and symbolism into her Black Panther covers that I yep. would have never seen, um, that I wouldn't have seen the depth of it. But listening to her talk about it was like I didn't she she went in deep and put a lot of work into just putting some things on her cover and here's the thing I'm 99% sure the stuff that she worked to put in her cover was her heart and not a marvel mandate um right no absolutely it seemed obvious from that conversation that she felt that this was an important part of the Wakandan lore and it was stuff that could be tied back to really neat historical things from Africa in general. So she did a ton of research. And so she overlaid her art with characters and symbolism. Um, she explained to us that there, there's a few covers that she did for Black Panther. You can you can seek those out. Um, and just look at the detail in the dress or any carvings or anything in all of them because they all do actually tie back to something specific. Um, she just had a Shuri cover uh, as well. So I know she's been pouring her heart into those. And that that's what's really great um, about this. And just, you know, kind of the connections we make through Love Thy Nerd and ourselves as well that, you know, Drew and Chris talk to game designers and we get that, oh, people do pour research and effort into the things that they create. Comic books is exactly the same that whether it's a simply just a cover, I say simply, but it's not simple at all. It's a lot of work um, or to the sequential art that makes it to the pages and telling a story that we, we get uppity at times and we complain and we Settle do down. Jocula- right, jocularity <laughs> back and forth. Jocularity. Um, That's of, a word. It is a word. Um, <laughs> thank you, Father Mulcahy. Um <laughs> Yeah, go watch MASH now. You're welcome. You're That's going to be stuck in your head for a while now. Jocularity. Um, I haven't watched MASH since I was in kindergarten. Dude, revisit it. But that's a different podcast. Um, that, yeah, the cool part about all this stuff is there are human beings behind all these products. And I think Hector and I would both agree. And Hector, you can jump in here behind me. And go to conventions, go to places or signings where these people are congregating, um, go to game conventions, um, go to tabletop conventions. I know the love thy nerd crew just got back from PAX, PAX uh, unplugged yeah. and they just, they said the same thing is it's so cool to see the people behind the art, behind the concept, behind the mechanic, because they're pouring everything into these creations. And we get to sit here and talk about it every couple weeks that it's good to end episode number five, this week's episode with that reminder of there's some really cool people behind all these projects. And we just want to encourage you guys get to know these folks, follow them on the social webs because a lot of them are super social and we'll show you behind the curtain. Um, there's so many cool creators to follow that like even Scott Snyder, um, other than watching him pick up his kids at school a lot, which is just awesome to me. (laughs) is his Instagram is also stuff he's working on. So it's stuff he's working on mixed with family that you're like, oh, these these people have to go pick up their kids in the middle of outlining these stories or drawing these stories. Um, 
it's just really neat to me to see I, for lack of a better term, the humanity of the people behind these things. I know that sounds weird, but I think well, sometimes as fans, difference. yeah, I think as fans, we put these folks on a pedestal and we forget their humanity. I, and, I don't even think it's that we put them on a pedestal. I think we rob them of any identity other than you supply my need. Ooh, um, that, that Yep. We don't really care that you have a life. We care that you give me my product, that you give it to me in the way I want it. And I have every right to think you are less of a human if you don't do it exactly how I feel. Um, and I think again, real talk with Hector and Chris. Uh, new well, I think that's the toxicity out. of fandom culture right now is that if you don't give it to me how I want it, I have the right to be angry with you. Um and no, that's that's a really good point, and we're seeing more and more of that. And that that's why I just encourage follow these folks, see who they really are. A lot of them will interact with you on social because they want to talk to their fans. Um, well, it's like Tom King responded to my tweets like a hot minute ago, um, and I never would have imagined that, you know. And you know, having having been in the Comic Con industry for about six years now, you know, I've met. Literally every, outside of Jeff Loeb and Jim Lee, I have met every comic book creator that's influenced my life. And you know mm. what? They're all real people. They're all people that I've had to see sit through crappy cons. They're people I've had, I've literally sat across from and eat bad hotel breakfast. Um, that they literally, not only do they put their home life at bay to write these books and draw these issues, but they legitimately um, will travel and tour just to interact with you. Um, you know, I, I remember sitting at, um, I was at a show in Virginia and I'm sitting at the same table with Chris Claremont, who uh, is a legend in comic book industry and responsible for some of the best X-Men stuff ever. And we're sitting at the same like family style table with Chris Claremont and, you know, watching him interact with people and, you know, meeting these people's wives. And, you know, a lot of times you'll see the wife of the writer or the artist at the booth. Um, and because it's their life as much as it is the creators. Yep. Um, There's a and, ton of husband and wife teams in both, in both directions that a lot of spouses are their managers or run their tables or. Run like, their I've never seen Bob camp and, without his wife. Um, mm. I've, I've never seen, um, you know, I've never seen like Mark Bagley without his people. Um, you know, they care. <laughs> and so, yeah, these are people and they are as much a part of this community as we are. No, it's a, it's a great reminder that no matter how nerd rage you might get when something drops or whatever, and you see what's going on and, you know, we'll end here. We won't even talk about it. We're just going to say that it was a thing is even as we were prepping to get into this ep episode, literally the Avengers uh, trailer dropped. And I was telling Hector, half of my Facebook feed of people like, what gives? That was nothing. We don't know. It's like, well, I, we get that. We get you. We're fans, too. But remember that there's teams of creatives that piece these things together. They're not going to hit home runs all the time, but we need to remember and celebrate them in the highs and the lows and 
just keep the community together because when the community is firing on all cylinders and we're going to prep a show, probably our next one, unless something really amazing in comics happens in the next couple of weeks to talk purely about that community, what convention life is like, because we think it's really important. There's a lot of great opportunities for folks to engage community, learn more about this hobby, and it comes through conventions and stores that do signings and events and that type of thing. So Hector and I promise we're going to get you an episode where we kind of chat about that because we think it's really useful for folks, even people that are just starting out. Um, it's a great way to jump in with both feet and really get to see all the different sides of this amazing industry. Sounds like a plan. It's a wonderful plan and all the pieces are together. I've played way too much Red Dead Redemption to hear I have a plan <laughs> without cringing. <laughs> oh my I gosh. have a plan. I have I'm a plan, Arthur. Money. I just need the money. We're going to Tahiti. <laughs> Tahiti, Arthur. Tahiti. I need you to stop doubting me, Arthur. <laughs> so that's it for Hector and I this week. Thank you for listening to the free play pod. Oh, wait. I mean, um, to the podcast. Yeah. um, Bubba, um, we (laughs) promised we would never do that on air again, but Red Dead is life. Um, And we're all going to Tahiti as long as the plan and the money works out. But that literally is it for Hector and I this week. Thanks, everybody, for continuing to listen. We're sorry. I'm sorry that we're a week behind, but life does happen. And Ralph breaks the internet, but you can find us on the interwebs. Um, Please remember to like, and subscribe our show. The more you like and subscribe, the more we show up in iTunes. And that's my vanity point for this week's episode, but we'd love some feedback. We'd love to know what you all are thinking of the show this far. You can find us on lovethynerd.com. hit up the podcast network. You can literally comment on any of the episodes, but you can also join us in the love thy nerd Facebook community and continue the conversation with us, or just see all of the antics that all of the wonderful nerdy and geeky people that come together in love thy nerd and just see all the cool stuff that we talk about, which is usually, um, Africa by Toto and many other important. So is it, I miss the rains down in Africa or I bless. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's blessed, but um, I've always thought it was miss. And now I'm totally learning new things. Go on. Okay. Well, we'll talk to Matt about that. He can set you straight. He is by far the love thy nerd expert on Toto and all things Africa. Um, we have to end this. <laughs> yeah. So thanks for listening, everybody. We're super glad to be part of the love thy nerd podcast network. And this is just all the fun we have week to week. So remember kids read more comics. You've been listening to the Polis podcast with Chris Poirier and Hector Miron part of the Love Thy Nerd Podcast Network. Be sure to rate and review the show and share on all the social media.